You're listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. And I'm Evie. We've got Isaac here keeping us honest and factual, and uh, Tom Lang is out on assignment this week. And what a week to miss. We've got some some general political feel-goodery to kick off the episode this week, and I feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. <laughs> I'm not getting it checked. It's such uh, the, the feel-good hit of the summer. Victoria, criminalised wage theft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like su- summer rock and guitar. <laughs> not good enough is now pleased to announce that George Calambaris is going to forever jail as a result. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say not good enough is now proud to report that we're going to be paying our staff just a bit above minimum wage. <laughs> <laughs> paying our staff, come on. <laughs> it's good exposure. <laughs> But yeah, Victoria now has um, in place, you can get a $200,000 fine uh, as an individual, up to $1 million in fine for businesses and up to 10 years jail if you are caught uh, essentially stealing wages, which is what happens when someone works for you and you don't pay them enough. Yep. It's not It's not just, you know, sneaky accounting or, you know, like a bit of, bit of, bit of wage, you know, tinkering. It's thievery. And that it hasn't been criminalised already is super fucking weird. Like, it's yeah, a criminal... I mean, the theft. stats show that it's, like, among the biggest kinds of theft in terms of, like, amount of money stolen. Yeah. It, it, it wage theft by far. And then, like, you know, burglaries and, 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 and muggings and stuff are, like, you know, the, the tiny little sliver at the bottom of the pie chart. At the bottom of the pie chart, I know how graphs work. But yeah, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> um, I, I noticed that there's a, there's a clause in there that – well, not a clause. I didn't read the legislation. I just read the, the, the press release. But it, it pointed out that uh, employers who make honest mistakes or who exercise due diligence in paying wages in employee entitlements will not be guilty of wage theft offences I don't agree with that. Laws. I think that's like – I mean, it's already – uh, allowed a couple of people to get a pass by saying they made an honest mistake. I mean, that's always the defensive whenever anyone's caught is like, oh, well, you know, the, the, the legislation's pretty complicated to make sure that all the all the employees get paid enough. So, you know, I tried to pay them all, but oh, yeah, they, they, oh, the bloody bank wouldn't bloody let me. I tried to give them the money. Oh, <laughs> went well, in even, the bin instead. Even the chefs that kept coming out were just like, a bit, but it's hard. It's so difficult and our industry wouldn't work if we didn't. It's like that is, that is already like it seems like what they want to say is like, I, I tried, but it's so difficult. I just know how to make pastry. It seems like a loophole <laughs> that's going to be easily exploited. I mean, we'll wait and see what happens, but yeah. I, I don't particularly yeah. like the existence of the loophole. What I do like is that they've created the Wage Inspectorate, which is a really funny name. <laughs> it just sounds like the Wallet mm. Inspector. I was I, I was going to say, I like it that it's definitely giving people ammunition, like the, the people that already think of him as like communist dictator Dan. Oh, now he's got the Wage Inspectorate. What am I expected <laughs> to pay my workers now that commie Dan's on the case? Yes. What is he going to do? Inspect, inspect every business for for doing crimes? Oh, it's so communist. That's not even communism. Paying your workers is part of capitalism. <laughs> the system's meant to run for fun. That's like every person who's on Facebook who's just like, oh, dictator Dan, everything that I don't like is leftism. The commies down in Victoria making sure my capitalism works properly. I liked exploiting it and doing things illegally. <laughs> There's, there's always this thing where it's like, look, if it's complicated to pay your workers the right amount, how come we don't also see a bunch of people accidentally overpaying their workers? Like that is the slam dunk reason. It's like, oh, because they're just making excuses for themselves and they're trying to get away with paying their employees as little as possible. That is the thing that's always worth keeping in mind is that these laws are only complicated 
if you're trying to pay your employees the minimum that you are legally allowed to pay them. If you're just like, look, I'll I'll just pay you a a, a fair amount that is above (laughs) minimum wage, you don't get fucked by the law. Yeah. Because you're not paying them under minimum wage. Like, if, if somebody's paying you minimum wage, that is their signal to say, I would be paying you less, but I'm not allowed, so here's the amount that I have to give you. Legally. Yeah, Legally. I think I think the term minimum wage has infected us in a way that it's like like you say a word too much in your mouth and it just becomes numb and loses all meaning to it. Like minimum wage, well, that's just the the smallest amount. And you don't think about it, but it's like, no, 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 no. Don't think for a fucking second that these leeches that also were championing like the 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 cutting of weekend wages and like overtime and stuff would also just be like, ah, look, how does 15 cents an hour sound? Now it's legal now. It's like, yeah. <laughs> minimum wage also it bears belaboring the point that like all these like the software that exists to actually manage this stuff is really easy to use even from a small business perspective (laughs) so come on guys like if you're looking to short to do shortcuts to try and avoid like you know paying people what they're worth it's even really hard to do it in the software you need to find ways to get around that so you fucked up somewhere (laughs) it's pretty great it's like oh i accidentally underpaid my workers 200 million dollars like (laughs) How many computers could you have bought with $200 million? One? Oh, you, way more than one? Wow. It sounds like you could have fixed your problem. <laughs> it's hard. I'm making pastries. Some other good news this week. Uh, Lydia Thorpe got uh, elected internally by the Greens to the Senate to replace uh, Senator Di Natale. Hooray. Woo-hoo. Excellent yeah, news. Uh, congratulations to Lydia Thorpe. I mean, I'd rather still as a Northcote rep, but I'm still happy she's in the Senate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Lydia Thorpe is an uh, Indigenous activist who was uh, the state representative for Northcote for a little while uh, and then lost a by-election uh, that was a year ago, two years ago. Yeah, a year um, ago. But still, uh, uh, still obviously active in politics and now active in federal politics. So, yeah, without buying too much into the idea that the Greens are our saviours, they are certainly better than <laughs> most of the alternatives. <laughs> um, and Lydia Thorpe uh, is pretty great. And also just, like, nice to see that we've finally got some Indigenous representation in the Senate, uh, which doesn't happen very often uh, until you sort of rewind more than a couple hundred years, in which case the Indigenous people were really the whole government of Australia. <laughs> Grim. <laughs> this is the feel goodery section, McLean. Yeah. <laughs> On the question, though, of, you know, we don't see many Aboriginal people in the Australian Senate. Why is that? I, I mean, a big part of it's probably because the media continues to demonise literally anyone who's not a straight, white, rich man and discourages them from getting into politics, both explicitly and also, as we'll, we'll get into in a second with this story about Lydia Thorpe, they do it all the time sort of implicitly. Yeah, oh, the astonishing level of sort of media grubbery in, in, in this. Which this is. Yeah. This, yeah. And it just what they what they will continue to do all the time, but mostly the for profit media will just continue to undermine political will and public trust in figures they don't want getting in. So, for instance, uh, earlier this week, uh, the Herald Sun called up Lydia Thorpe and they they said that they were asking just random politicians, a whole different selection of all different political figures. Uh, if they would support renaming the state of Victoria because it's of because of its colonial associations, and she was like, uh, "Yep, 
uh, yes, I am in favor sure. of this one very vague yet um, uh, specific. Well, like, not vague, but I, I mean, don't think it's ever really been floated. Like, she, she's on board. She's like, you know, would, would Lydia, would you support renaming the state of Victoria because of its colonial associations? And she's like, oh, sure. Yeah, let's have that conversation. I haven't like, even thought of that before, but fuck yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the fucking Herald Sun ran that story with only her response uh, without the sort of push polling aspect of it. I'm with shocked. the headline, Lydia Thorpe demands Victoria be renamed. <sighs> like, ah. Uh. I mean, this, oh, is ste- this is par for the course with the Herald Sun, but it's a larger theme, um, as you were saying, in terms of de- devaluing or uh, criticising um, any sort of media figure or, or politician that's not yeah. straight white male. But yeah. Uh, it's a yeah, it's definitely a trend where it's almost saying how dare they speak or how dare they yeah. talk about a controversial topic. Like you think of um, mm. Yasmin Abel, um, she was like, even to say a statement about a true statement about the state of refugees in Australia is seen in terms of how dare she even open her mouth. Mm. Yeah. If she dares to open her mouth, it should be something that we all think is acceptable. Yeah. And she has, she has broken that social contract, which she had no, uh, no stake in making. And now we must punish her for it. I mean, and this is, this is, we talked about this last week about how uh, the media works hand in glove with the politicians, the politicians work with the mining council. It's not really related here, but like it's, it's this full symbiotic relationship that they have. Um, uh, this morning, looks like the Courier Mail is reporting that Senator Matt Canavan uh, has slammed an incoming Victorian Green Senator push for Queensland and other states to be renamed. <laughs> like that was coming from the Herald Sun, fuckface. They, they start yeah. the cycle and they continue yeah. the cycle. Like he's not, he's not going after the Herald Sun being like, why is this divisive newspaper trying to, you know, make partisan issues out of things that don't actually exist? And why is he trying to make politics harder in this country? It's like, no, it's the, shut up. Well, that's the thing is they're not making politics harder for anybody. They're making politics easier for Matt Canavan. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) One thing the Herald Sun is really good for in terms of like just your own media literacy as well. Uh, I've alluded to this in the past, but one thing that uh, I used to do quite a bit in my 20s is I used to read a lot of gossip blogs and tabloids and stuff like that because I was very heavily invested in celebrities. Um, (laughs) Celebs, they're always at it. Um, but one thing that that period of my life actually really taught me, which I thought was really interesting, is that it actually teaches you how um, tabloids and newspapers generally frame things. So whenever there's like, say, a female celebrity or in this case, a, a female politician saying something, they'll always say, Lydia Thorpe slammed this or Lydia Thorpe demands this. And it's like it, she's just saying a neutral statement, but it's all about the framing on which they say it. Even when uh, Lydia Thorpe even got appointed to the Senate, uh, news.com.au reported it, it that that news story as the Indigenous activist who called for Victoria to be renamed due to its colonial past is heading to the Senate for the Greens. Like, that's her <sighs> whole thing, is this thing that was conjured out of whole cloth by News Corp earlier that week. Like, this is not a, a thing that she's been campaigning for for years. This is just like... Victoria, what about the renaming that? She's like, okay. It's like, that's your thing now, dude. (laughs) You said yes on the phone call, and now that's your defining factor. Yep, you're committed now. Uh, Well, uh, uh, aside from that, fucking yeah, also, let's rename Victoria. Like, (laughs) who gives a shit? Yeah, we've had the same name for a while. It'd kind of be cool to have a new one. It's like getting like a new hair color or a tattoo. No, it has to be Victoria forever. 
That's my stance. I'm a conservative and I have a vision of the future. It's the year 9000 and it's still called Victoria. (laughs) And everyone still thinks that the queen from that year was good. Honestly, like it's actually like I think about it in terms of like also like street names and stuff. They're like we have like a lot of really weird like colonial sort of things that seep into our lives that we don't really think about. Like there's like a million streets that are called like Flinders or Victoria or Alfred or something like that. It's like, oh man, this shit's really <laughs> There's a boring. street in Richmond called Adolf Street, and I used to work near there. And every time I'd just be like, just rename the street, guys. <laughs> Don't even care if it's about a different Adolf. It's a weird look. <laughs> <laughs> this was a choice to name this street Adolf. <laughs> it's at least like, a choice to keep it like that. What are you doing? Yeah, it, it is a choice to keep it like that. <laughs> Victoria has cranked the lockdown up a little bit we 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 relaxed the restrictions and now we delax the restrictions and we're not allowed to go out anymore (laughs) (laughs) i did see a good post going around where it was um from a facebook group about impersonating dan andrews it's like i can't be clearer you fucked it you can't go out (laughs) on the beers (laughs) yeah um victoria has had a spike in cases i think we've had like now it's six days in a row over 20 cases, which is not good. Is that over um, 20 new cases or active cases? 20 new each day. Oh, uh, that's not great. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not It's it's not good at all. And, and Daniel Andrews has basically pointed the finger at large family gatherings um, where people have basically decided the lockdown is over um, and in the context of relaxing restrictions have started having larger parties, which is not great. Yeah, which, I mean, I do... I don't know if sympathy is the right word, but I, I do definitely understand the the fact that, uh, like, I mean, we're we'll into some of the major reasons for this in a little bit, but just from my own experience, like, I can definitely understand why it's either all or nothing. Like, the idea of, you know, we're in lockdown, you can't do anything, you can't see anyone, don't go outside, the air will kill you, versus, like, the minutiae around where you can have five people in your um, in your house at a time. And that can actually go up to 15 people in two weeks' time. But you have to keep 1.5 metres distance, but at the gym you can have 20 people, but at a cafe you can have 15 people as long yeah, as it's... Yeah, the like, confusion mm. gets too much. And, like, also <sighs> I sympathise, like... I like I very insisted on not being a cop on other people in terms of <laughs> um, like I try to destroy the cop in my brain a bit in terms of like getting on people about having gatherings and stuff. Like I, I've seen a friend or two since the lockdowns have eased. Hey. Uh, uh, well, it's still Corona distance. <laughs> And, like, I still feel very uneasy, like, when they're like, oh, you know, we're going to have a bigger party next week. We're going to have our housewarming. I'm like, uh, it's not that much yet. Like, it's yeah. not, yeah. you know, people make their own decisions. They make their own lives about it. But, yeah, like, I, I feel I, I sympathize with feeling like, you know, oh, fuck it. You know, let, you know, we haven't seen each other in so long. Let's just have a gathering. Yeah, and I think that's probably, you know, a lot of the where these cases are yeah. coming from. Yeah. But, I, I yeah. like I said, I understand, but I don't sympathize because I'm miserable with no friends. But I sort of like <laughs> roughly appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> oh, Michi, no I, I think friends. That the fact that we've like eased on the restrictions a little bit and then had to like put them back on, I think is entirely predictable and like fine and normal. Like oh, if yeah. you're doing it well, then that is kind of how it should be. Like yeah. if you lift the restrictions and there's no spike or anything and the disease has been completely eliminated. That's kind of a sign that your restrictions were a bit too restrictive, you know? Mm. 
the the fact that the restrictions were effective and then we're like, okay, looks like they're effective. Let's dial them back a little bit. Oh, no. Okay, so let's put them back on. Like, that's just, you know, if you want to bring a car to a graceful stop, you got to, like, brake and then, like, let it go a little bit and then brake again. Otherwise, you're going to lurch a little bit. Like, that's just, it's the way that a lot of things go. Also, that's, that's just how things are going to be happening from now until we get a vaccine. It's just going to be, like, rolling, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know open up the restrictions a little bit, see how we go. Oh, no, there's a spike again. We might need to restrict here and there. Like, this is just our lives now. It's also just a very, like, Victorian-centric, let alone Australian-centric view. Like, we've seen Beijing had to lock down again. South Korea had to lock down again. And it's like, we should think of ourselves in a global setting where it's like, look, this country had to have parts of it locked down again. But meanwhile, we're open. Cool, we'll stay open. Oh, we're spiking again. We'll close down like this other place did while this place opens. Like that's just, we're, it's, a, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a pandemic. That's, I don't think that's necessarily individuals, people's fault that they're thinking that way though. That, that has been driven entirely by inconsistent responses, both state and federally. Like luckily, you know, in Victoria, we have a minister who's taking it very seriously. But obviously that's not the case nationwide and we still have a prime minister that's insistent on having the most incoherent response possible. Um, <laughs> and that and that still branches out to everyone else too. Like, you know, that, I, that attitude still um, is taken up by people whether they think they're taking it on or not. They're like, oh, well, the prime minister thinks, you know, we're opening up soon. Therefore, yeah. we probably yeah. are and it, we shouldn't take it so seriously anymore. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, essentially Daniel Andrews had a press conference where he talked about the facts as they appear to be and the, the, the fact of trying to lock down in relation to where we're seeing the cases, which is, you know, um, in family gatherings, people that were testing positive and still like going to work, having to go to work in some cases, seeing people that they shouldn't be seeing. And, and so the lockdown, the, the restrictions is in response to that. You wouldn't know that if you saw any of the mainstream media in this fucking country who are in a number of different places already referring to a potential second spike as the Black Lives Matter bump or the BLM bump, which, like, f first off... Oh, it's a lie. Why, are these, a why lie. are these sweaty hoglets, like, clamouring for <laughs> a second spike? Like, they're, they're fucking hungry for it. They want it. It was like all the fucking, the, the culture reporting on the Joker movie when they were like, oh, there's gonna, oh, I hope there's no shooting. No, there better not be a shooting in a cinema. <laughs> like, calm down. Just, if, if there is, it'll be a tragedy. If there's another it's bump, it'll It's just an extension of the culture wars for them. Like, because for them, it'd be like, oh, well, our ideological opponents are dying. And look, let's be honest. I have indulged in a little bit of culture war myself in which I've wanted conservative MPs to die of coronavirus, but... <laughs> <laughs> we all got so excited about Boris Johnson. We we're all oh deflated after. I'm so mad he didn't die. Fuck. I remember when Doug got it. That was a know. beautiful moment for a while. I know. Such a shame. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the the fact that the the fact that the like the Australian and, and the IPA and stuff are referring to the second spike as the BLM bump, even though. The only known cases, so there were a couple of known cases among protest attendees, but they were not infectious at the time. They didn't get it at the protest. There's there's no reason to call it the BLM bump. The Australian actually has called it the BLM bump. Like, it's always reported with a question mark <laughs> because they're just like, well, I mean, obviously there, there's not enough credible evidence to call it the BLM bump, even though we're the Australian, we're still like, there's not enough evidence. We've got to put a question mark. Like that shows you how tenuous the evidence actually is when the Australian puts a fucking question mark on it. Yeah. But yeah, they're still like hitting that as hard as possible because they are committed to pushing that ideology that the Black Lives Matter protests are bad. And 
that's because they're genuinely fine with black deaths in custody. Yeah. yeah. They're like, it's stupid that these people are protesting because they're protesting a stupid thing. This is like, look, oh, well, whatever. You know, black people dying in prison. They shouldn't have bloody done a bloody crime. Like, it's despicable. And the fact that they're also willing to undermine the health expert messaging about COVID saying like, oh, you know, like the health experts are like, oh, it's families. And they're like, oh, sounds like it's bloody protesters to me. Like they're <laughs> messing with the messaging and that's going to like, it, it, the, don't mess with the fucking messaging. That'll kill people. But they're like, well, look, as long as black people keep dying in prison, that's a acceptable price to pay. <laughs> Yeah, I like it, it, this is a worldwide phenomenon too and it's just I'm still trying to fully grapple with it but the way that the right wing I won't even say conservatives but the right wing in, in general have managed to politicize science in this way. Like you just said like the healthcare professionals who are doing the testing are going, "Hey, look, we are just literally seeing an uptick in numbers related to households." And they're going, "But what if it's this protest I hated?" What are you fucking talking about? It's not. This is an extension of, like, um, politicising science when it comes to climate change, when it comes to vaccines. Like, again, Mm. it's just culture wars forever. But But that's that's what I mean. I I shouldn't be able to know your stance on coronavirus outbreaks, on action on climate change, if I also know what you think about marriage equality. Do you know what I mean? Like, they they shouldn't be fucking... They shouldn't be related, and it's just fucking mind-blowing that they've managed to do it so effectively. The problem with that, too, is I think... Part of the issue is that we didn't – when I say we, I mean like maybe progressives or the left generally. Um, this podcast. This podcast is personally <laughs> responsible. Um, <laughs> I, I think when like this first started happening in terms of do you, putting an ideological stance on things that are objectively true or false when it comes to science, um, when that started, I remember a lot of the dialogue being ignore them, they're cranks. You know, don't platform them and that sort of thing. There is still a nuance there where you should platform them enough to make sure you say these people are cranks. For a lot of time, there was just no sort of um, addressing it at all. And now we've lost Mm. the thread a bit and we don't know how to address the the issue properly, which is, you know, dealing with people who constantly – do this stuff. Yeah, you can't you can't ignore them. One of the people is the Victorian leader of the opposition, Michael O'Brien. He's he's going to get airtime. He had he needs to be counted. What should have happened was that when he was like greasily sliming his way up the Victorian LNP totem pole, he was like cut off. He should have been like the cranks shouldn't have been ignored. Essentially, we should have had more robust protections before you know our the ABC and journalists everywhere had their funding cut, and we lost the ability to effectively counter these talking points. Um, also, just quick, I, I want a special shout out to Michael O'Brien, uh, leader of the Victorian Liberal Party. You are a detestable piece of shit, and I hate you. Um, <laughs> he had a he had a yeah. Daniel Andrews has reached a new low in reporting that families are to blame. For, fuck off, cunt! I hate him so much. He yeah. we're in the middle of a pandemic. Can you turn it down for a fucking minute? Just. This should be something where both sides of the political like spectrum <laughs> can come together <laughs> and say, all right, in this instance, we've got to work together. And this guy's trying to score political points and he's doing it so poorly. I hate him from the point of view of someone who doesn't know how to use rhetoric properly. Like he's just unimaginative as well. I hate him. <laughs> On a professional I hate him so basis, much. But this is why the, the, Liberal, so the Liberal Party in Victoria is just basically a non-entity as a result in terms of you know political... I know! 
it's just, just so they're, bad. They're floundering so hard. He's got nothing. And they were really hoping that the whole, like, the, the Labor branch stacking scandal would have taken off and, and they would, there was the, they, the, the Victorian ALP will be brought to their knees. And they just weren't. People just went, oh, yeah, politicians are corrupt. That sucks, doesn't it? This guy seems like a bit of a grub. He's, all right, he's out of politics. We're in a pandemic. Let's get on. It's like Michael O'Brien just has this, like, like a lot of Australian politicians, they're trying out the... Trump way of doing things where they, you know, they speak a bit more uh, commonly and they they speak a bit more directly and they, they, they target people a bit more, but there's absolutely no instinct or charisma behind it. So it's still like focus tested to shit and has no substance behind it whatsoever. Yeah, and I populism just still hate requires him. people oh. can like pretend to like you at least. But yeah, like you can't even pretend with this shit. Like what is he doing? What, like, okay, he can say that. Uh, Daniel Andrews re- reached new low, but what is he actually proposing as a solution? Nothing. Vote for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what I'll do is get into power like my federal counterparts, and I'll just still blame everything on the Labor Party for for a decade. We'll put the coronavirus in prison. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that gets me is the sort of the depoliticization of the or the big air quotes depoliticization of the of the public service, where if you in a in a better world had a, you know, a leader of a political party get up and say, you know, oh, he's reached a new low in, you know, denigrating families like that by saying that they're responsible for the second spike. You would have like a chief health officer or something be able to get up and say, Michael O'Brien's comments are totally inaccurate and totally irresponsible. And he clearly doesn't know what he's talking about at all. And uh, that kind of language will lead to people dying. Yeah. We don't have anyone saying that because we have all this sort of stuff around the public service where you're not allowed to get up and make that kind of political statement, which itself is politicization of Mm. the public service because that's not a political statement to say this person who clearly doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. That's a factual statement. It's not political to say this person needs to shut up when they're talking about a thing that you do have expertise in, but the public service isn't allowed to talk about that sort of stuff because they will lose their job for getting involved in politics. Yeah. Even if it's that exact politics that's making their job harder. It's, it's you know, terrible to see. Yeah. In um, slightly good news, though, related to this whole thing, Victor- the Victorian government has announced that they're going to be providing $1,500 to people who test positive or their close contacts test positive and they have to self-isolate and will lose money as a result of it, which is is unprecedented, I believe, in terms of... I mean, this whole situation is unprecedented, so that's fine. But like, <laughs> just so far as a state government essentially circumventing the federal government and just providing the support that should be provided by the federal government it just it just gives a little bit more weight to the idea that daniel andrews has been essentially going it alone as best he can in response to the victorian outbreak yeah. like, seems a, like a, around the back yeah this 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 payment i think is just genuinely really nice to see like the the state of sick leave in australia is a bunch of shit like obviously if you're in like a you know a good job then you can take a day off if you're sick or you can take a couple of weeks off if you've got coronavirus but there's so many jobs that are like well i sure hope you have you know, a bunch of money saved up because you're not getting paid while you're not at work. Mm. The the fact that or they the get shitty about you taking sees it too. this and is like, we've made this payment so that you can take time off without going bankrupt. That's really necessary. And the fact that it's sort of this ideological thing at the federal stage where they're like, oh, we can't be paying people to not work. It's like you're paying people to stay at home 
to not spread the plague, guys. You're not paying them to slack off. You, the The work is don't go outside, and you're paying them to do that work. Yeah, it's 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 nice to see a government uh, acknowledge that. Uh, just also want to point out though, hate Daniel Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have received a little bit of feedback uh, from from listeners saying that it's it's fun to hear my catchphrase of Daniel Andrews did a good thing this week, but I still hate him. Uh, <laughs> What's it gonna take, McLean? Well, it'd take fucking stopping drilling for gas and deforesting the fucking native forests that Victoria... Look, he's a climate oh, criminal yeah, and that. he will lead us all to our deaths. But in the meantime, he will do nice things for people who have got coronavirus, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> and his anti-corruption stance that he uses to ferret out his political enemies within his own party is very strong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which Not- also happened this week, the Somurek <laughs> scandal. Uh, there's a guy who was caught doing corruption stuff. It was all sort of internal labor politics. We're not really getting it into it. Uh, next sting, please. I just like the idea of Daniel Andrews being like, nah, you got to get off the votes. You can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the crib notes is he's essentially stopped the... the, uh, the uh, yeah. The Victorian ALP is in a really weird spot where he's just essentially locked everything down politically. No one can vote. There's like external auditors and he's just going through and making sure every single member is legit. And it's extreme. It's fucking extreme. It's extreme. Dictator Dan is on the case. It's just this weird thing where basically enough people got evidence that a couple of particular MPs within the Victorian Labor Party are up to, let's call it exactly the same kind of corruption <laughs> that the rest of the Labor Party and Liberal Party yeah. and National Party and probably the Greens and probably the Socialists and uh-huh. probably the Animal <laughs> Justice Party and probably the Weed Legalization Party. Like, every fucking party's doing this. <laughs> but <laughs> one guy got actually sprung and everyone's just like, oh my goodness, me. Oh, the corruption. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and so, like, they're rightly kicking him out. Good stuff. But they're also just like... Fucking everyone's in it. And even some MPs have gone on publicly being like, I don't see what the problem is. Everybody's in on it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why Why are we kicking out Somurek? He did it as well. Like, God, yeah. Every single rolling update from The Age has been really funny too. Like every, like at the start of it, it happened, like it started on a, on the Sunday night uh, with the Monday being the, like the break open of the scandal. And every hmm. Tuesday they just re- revealed that another MP was involved. Like we know they could have all done it on the same day, but they're just doing like the slow reveal as if like, you know, all these MP- MPs are like the only people to be doing it in this entire scandal. It's like, okay, we know everyone's involved. You don't need to, just over-egging the pudding a bit. <laughs> It's like leading up to a fucking cinema release of a Marvel movie or something where you got yeah. like the, you know, the teaser will drop on April 9th, you know, and then they've got like the one second clip and then they've got the four second clip and then they've got the, like the one minute clip and everyone's like, oh my God, this movie's going to be so good. <laughs> nah, it's just the same. I really hope that I can convey how many air quotes... Uh, I, I'm sort of <laughs> trying to do in this sentence, but Australia was the victim of a state-based cyber attack. <laughs> did, did I get enough in there? Enough? I think I think state-based cyber attack sounds like it might have all been one air quote, and it's not. It is it is state-based unquote cyber unquote attack unquote. Yeah, it's none I mean, of those only, things. <laughs> the only real word in that sentence is Australia, but Australia was involved <laughs> in something. So on one of the mornings this week, Friday morning. It was Friday morning. Was, 
Yeah. Friday morning, Scott Morrison held a press conference to say that somebody somewhere is or has been hacking possibly Australia's cyber infrastructure. <laughs> I will be taking no questions. <laughs> it, it, just like this really sort of vaguely worded dust up that had like a bunch of people weighing in being like, oh, you know, like David Spears getting on Twitter to be like, what the prime minister meant to say was blah, blah, blah. Um, but the... The, the overall news is there's constantly hacking attempts going on, uh, targeting Australia's cyber infrastructure. The reason being, Australia has no idea what to do about <laughs> cyber stuff because everyone in Australian government is absolutely shit at any kind of technology. And so, yeah, our, our cyber defences are garbage. The, the, the copy coming out of the Prime Minister's office about this thing described the attack as copy-paste compromises because a lot of the attack was using publicly available and open-source exploits to long-known security That's holes. just a fancy way of just saying there were lots of phishing attacks and Susan from Accounts just clicked on a free Netflix link. And, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just... The, the- yeah, the it's fact ridiculous. that this got a press conference is astonishing to me because the content of the press conference, if you look between the lines, is we're really bad at cybersecurity. <laughs> this is a guy who's getting up and he's just like, all right, so we've got big news. There's been a big attack that's been very tactically and strategically coordinated. What they have done is they've noticed that we always leave our keys in restaurants and car parks <laughs> and like yeah. shops and stuff. And they're going around and they're taking the keys that we are always bloody dropping around and they're using them to unlock our filing cabinets and get at our stuff. It's like, stop fucking leaving your keys around then. Don't <laughs> hold a press conference saying, oh, we keep dropping our keys and it's their fault. And David, like, Spears, <laughs> David Spears has been responsible for a lot of this code of language as well like today on insiders um someone was saying that um he's upgraded the liberal party comms messaging to the, it's been upgraded to use uh, calling it a cyber war like <sighs> what like we it's not like we're firing back any sort of hacking attempts on the other side as as far as i'm aware so is this like a one-sided war where someone's just ha- sending phishing links to people or what you know, it's just, it's really phony. I was at a, a tech conference last year that the keynote speaker was talking about a bunch of, of security and hacking stuff. And it was a very illuminating talk because he was a, a coordinator of this like security agency. And he was talking about how statistically speaking, the vast majority of internet hacks come from children not even like just you know old weirdo like work for hire hackers but just genuinely 13 year olds who have downloaded a program that automatically hacks a website for you and they run that program and now they've hacked the website because so many websites have such glaring security holds that literally a child can do it and this this it was phenomenal he had this video of it was a how to use this program to like automatically hack websites that was clearly narrated by a 12 year old and he was mispronouncing all of the jargon that sort of thing it's just like oh you download this sexy thing and you type in blah 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 and then you press run and then it gives you all the passwords and this is the level of attack that the the, the fucking state-based cyber attack is describing like god bless the very teens. The teens are good there is some warehouse full of you know black hat hackers in china who are like trying to penetrate australia's security firewalls but if they do it it's because our firewalls are shit it's not because they're any good at it like, yeah i'm just this is an astonishing piece of news if there are and some the budding that, teens yeah. listening to this podcast who would like to try some hacking software on peter dutton's computer or something like it'd just be really funny i'm not saying like <laughs> two it's very easy. It'd just be uh, really just fun. Just make sure that you target 
uh, somebody sucks. <laughs> yeah. The Border Force website. Give it a go. Yeah. Just test the boundaries. Fuck it. If just you're my, just learning my, about just coding, kids, my... you just want like some oh, example yeah. sites. God. No, Mitch, you're going to get a 14-year-old black bag. <laughs> <laughs> Teens, don't do this. Do not do this. Hopefully it's that guy that keeps stealing my kills in Valorant. <laughs> they will leave their keys out. And if you steal their keys, they will make you disappear. So even though it's easy to hack them, still don't. Probably not a great idea for your HSE. I reckon if you can get away with it, though. Mitch. <laughs> if we're in a cyber war, we have, to, we have to send the kids first. It's just the natural state of things. <laughs> we're going to train our soldiers. <laughs> yeah. Child cyber soldiers. Oh, God. Oh. Anyway, all this dumb, like, cyber hacking stuff, like, it was all a distraction anyway. Um, it, whenever there's a, 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 I'm sure we've mentioned in the past, you've got to think about times when news is released. So a Friday morning or a Friday afternoon is usually a good time to either dump something really important or there's, like, a big news story that covers up something else important. So I personally don't particularly care about vaping or anything, but it was a it, – it's <laughs> – is a specific thing that's happened on Friday evening. It was quietly announced that the federal government has bypassed up parliament entirely and directly asked the governor general to ban the importation of nicotine fluids and salts into Australia. So that's thereby it's made uh, vaping in Australia effectively illegal now. So this has been a <laughs> this has been a fight that's happened for quite some time. Um, and, you know, between the government, public health officials and libertarians have cared about it so much, but they managed to bury that completely on a Friday and no one knows about it now. The people the people most interested in vaping news are also the ones most interested in cyber war, I think, as well. Like, there's a direct <laughs> correlation about who they want to hide the news from. <laughs> what? That's <laughs> really accurate. <laughs> <laughs> So another news, I don't actually know whether this uh, update to a news story is is good or bad, but remember when a tribunal decided that a refugee should be immediately released from detention and 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 Peter Dutton just said no. He just he just went uh, no. We spoke about this in episode 13, Money Police. Good on us. That's a good episode <laughs> title. We're, we're amazing. We're so good. Um, yeah, we're so good, but also my heart goes out to this guy who is uh, so just being kept in detention and the courts have said he shouldn't be there and he's still there. Just because Peter Dutton is saying no, and it turns out he may not even uh, have the power to just say no. Uh, the update to this story is that a federal judge has threatened Peter Dutton with contempt of court for ignoring the ruling. Like, that's that's pretty fucking massive. Um, some of the reporting was around how they're, like, they, they're pretty sure just because he's a like, sitting minister in charge of this thing doesn't mean that he can't be found in contempt of court. So they were, this, this judge was like, push your luck. Go on. Yep. Play me. See how it goes. I'll clap back. That's not an official quote. But it was the vibe was um, Peter Dutton should go to jail. He's a horrible, evil snake of a man. That's what the federal judge said. Direct quote. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, Justice Flick uh, said, regrettably, by that email, uh, it, the, the email that Peter Dutton's office said that, so what happened was the judge said, you got to release this guy now. Stop delaying. The, the ruling said that the delays around releasing this Iranian refugee were unreasonable. Yep. And instead of releasing him, Dutton's lawyers sent an email to Justice Flick saying they thought that his judgment was in error 
and they would lodge an appeal and not release the refugee until the appeal was resolved, which is like an astonishing level of balls from these lawyers to email the judge being like, look, we've heard your ruling. We think you're wrong and we're not going to do it. Uh, and so that's Flick's response is, regrettably by that email, the minister has intentionally opted not to comply with the law um, and went on to say that he would put him in prison if he didn't let that guy go. So an interesting story to watch. I'm still incredibly skeptical that Peter Dutton will spend a day in jail and honestly pretty skeptical that he would just take the L and release the guy. I don't really know which way it's going to go, um, but an, an interesting story to watch. It's just, it's always worth keeping in mind when it comes to Dutton and people like him that, like, that is all creeping authoritarian and creeping fascism looks like. It doesn't actually look like brown shirts with swastikas goose-stepping around Ballarat and then in a couple of years they have the um, they have the spine to come into the city CBD because they think they've got the support. It's little bits like this. I mean, like, Malcolm Turnbull, fuck off, I don't care. But even he said... <laughs> When he was being ousted from the Liberal Party, he when the writing was on the wall that he wasn't going to be Prime Minister, he at least apparently fought to make sure it was Morrison instead of Dutton because he was worried about what Dutton would do. And like what we've seen in fucking America with Trump and the increasingly fascist tendencies that he's been displaying that has resulted in cops being having free range to just shoot protesters with fucking rubber bullets in the head. We've also seen Peter Dutton release videos where he's like, if you see an Australian federal police officer, give him a handshake or something. Like, he's, he's just as happy to run that line about the police. He's just as happy to tell a judge he was in error about a decision. He's just as happy to go, no, I'm not going to comply with the courts. I don't recognise your authority. Like... If Peter Dutton gets close to the prime ministership again, like, I cannot stress it enough, but we must redact it and burn things down. Like, we just have to. We have to make sure that shit doesn't happen because, essentially, like historically speaking, fascism comes on very, very slowly until it comes on very quickly, and we're not going to have a situation again where we've got like, ah, oh, the Australian Fascist Party, vote for us in this upcoming election. Like, it's still going to be called democracy. It's, it's going to be, you know, essentially fascism by fiat or, or fascism by corporation. But... Mm. You see this in terms, yeah. You see this in terms of like, well, if they're willing to continue to imprison a refugee who's not supposed to still be in prison, who else are they going to do that to? But that, I mean, that applies to pretty much everything else that you see, like the overreach of um, authority, um, including um, Aboriginals in custody as well. Aboriginal people in custody oh, sure. constantly, you know, are being tortured as a lot so many of them die if they're the you know if that's the start of what the police or you know governments are willing to let happen what happens next and you know mm. that, without sounding too you know going over the top with the extension of policy that is what could happen yeah yeah i mean you also look at like the 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 witness k trial and, and the bernard collery trial that are like We've got this sort of thing that's happened that nobody's allowed to know about and somebody that nobody's allowed to know about has done something wrong that nobody's allowed to know about. And so the whole trial has to happen under complete secrecy. And now even the lawyer who's representing him is being charged with something that nobody's allowed to know about. Like this full multi-level secret trial where even just like the defense 
is now like facing you know question mark question mark question mark worth of prison because of question mark question mark question mark like the, the whole mm. document is fucking redacted yeah that like that's not a democratic thing to do yeah really no matter what's going on so you know th- these are things that are already happening in australia these like you know deaths in custody illegal detentions the the secret trials that you know that that stuff is already here it, it, it's not so much like, oh, when does fascism hit our shores? Yeah, it's not it's really creepy, like, is it? How much of it? Like, fascism isn't yeah. an on-off switch. It's just like, how much of it do you have? Yeah, we've, we've talked about that sort of thing before, but there's no, like, waiting for the trains to be loaded for fascism to come up. It, it's not, it doesn't look like that. And yeah, you're, you're 100% right in that it is a... I mean, when we talk about like, you know, the the culture wars and the ideological wars, and we'll get into some of that in a little bit again, just another example of it. But it's like, there are people on some side who are happy to have fascism as the end result, like just full-fledged dictatorship fascism works for me all on board. But until until they get that, or if they're never going to get that, they'll still chip away at little bits of democracy and a little little bits of socialism because it, 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 it that's what I'm getting to is that it works on the the opposite end of the spectrum as well, like socialism isn't an on-off switch. We had unions fight for weekends and sick leave and all these different things that are edging us closer towards, you know, full-blown communism. We may never get there, but we have to make sure that we are securing gains as best we can and also fighting against creeping little bits of fascism. You know what it is like? It's how we, uh, how I was talking about before, how we, how we lost the thread of uh, politicising science um, yep. and objective fact. The same thing applies here. You have to lock down those things hard because then they can tend to get away from you very quickly. Uh, This week, The Guardian has been doing a deep dive into government abuses of the political expenses system, which is pretty neat. Uh, Also pretty neat. The the series is called The Public Trust, which I think is a pretty good pun. (laughs) There being like confidence, but also uh, a bank account. Uh, not bad from the Guardian there, whoever whoever's your pun editor. Solidarity. <laughs> Solidarity. Solidarity with that pun. In the face of people telling you puns are bad, not good enough, stand with you. <laughs> Look at our show titles. We definitely do. So, yeah, it's just been uh, basically going over a bunch of different cases that have happened in sort of uh, short-term to medium uh, sort of history, uh, implicating a bunch of different MPs. We've got Chris Bowen, Stuart Robert, our friend, uh, Dan Tehan, Simon Birmingham, Erica Betts, all all involved in like various different uh, expenses scandal. Michael McCormack's on there with a pretty good one. He charged uh, a Melbourne Cup private jet flight to the taxpayer but said that it was for parliamentary business. Um, (laughs) But the parliamentary business that he was supposedly on was announcing a grant that had already been announced three years ago and due to a current legal challenge, wasn't even moving forward. Oh, the balls in that but guy. Just incredible. A- apparently that's worth chartering a private jet f- for and the, the the party wasn't the real reason. It was the it was the grant announcement. So yeah, a lot of a lot of politicians in a lot of shit. On a on a podcast, uh, The Guardian's podcast Full Story, they did a much bigger deep dive into this whole scandal, which um, we'll link in the show notes. But they actually talk about this actual um, grant that Michael McCormack has um, like put down on the register as part of parliamentary interest has been around for so long and used so many times that they try to treat it like a golden goose. Like they've rolled it out a number of times being like, oh, I'm going to announce this grant. It was already announced, but I'm going oh, I'm no. to do it again. <laughs> and like, it's just a known thing that they will regularly just dip into the bucket and use this exact grant to be like, oh, I've got to, 
I got to head to Melbourne to um, talk about the thing again. <laughs> I hope there's no horse races on at the time. <laughs> what was the grant? Oh, conveniently. What was the actual grant? Oh, you're just buying into their story budget. I'm interested, Evie. <laughs> well, like, um, I, it's so it's so fascinating to me that they've actually used this several times now as an excuse you know, to go on a holiday. You, you know what it was for, ironically enough? It was uh, $4 million in federal funding for a proposed indoor sports facility. Oh, my God. In the Stonington <laughs> City. They bloody love sport. Evie, as the only sports commentator on the podcast, <laughs> how do true. you I feel about your personality trait being devalued by the Liberal Party? I'm honestly shocked <laughs> to the <laughs> I feel I feel like they should take sports loving people very seriously and to just keep on giving us fake money. It just it's 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 not good enough, frankly. I will not be pandered to by the Liberal Party who clearly do not like sports. They clearly only attend the games to rub shoulders with other executives to make deals in the background. Oh, it's great. Like I love um, Scott Morrison pretending to love a new AFL team every time he comes to Victoria. It's so good. Someone's actually kept like a running track of like every time he wears a new AFL scarf, like it's just like a random team. It's It's fantastic. I love it when conservative people pretend to care about sports. <laughs> But yeah, like all of this sort of stuff, I highly recommend anyone listening, go check out the show notes just to see like these these scandals aren't as like, you know, big as the sports rot stuff. There's not like spreadsheets, ke- spreadsheets kept on how to like screw labor districts out of money and whatnot. But it just it goes to the point of how a lot of the people, especially conservatives, but it definitely does happen on, you know, in every major political party. There is an undercurrent of people in politics where they still have a almost medieval mindset where they do definitely think they have a divine right to rule. They Oh yeah. We have lost sight in in you know at least you know popular culture of just how craven these motherfuckers are and just how much they think they are above us. It's n- like we 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 haven't really lost a ruling class who think they just should be there. And there's no extra thought to that. That's fundamental to them. They think that since birth, they've had the right family. They've had the right like, primary, high school and university education. They have the right friends. And I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, be a, be a, little, be a little prince somewhere. Yeah. And they've just changed the names of it. What gets me about this expenses scandal, like especially like when you talk about the sports rort scandals and everything that's come before it, is... There are so there. There does seem to be an increasing number of expenses scandals um, as time goes by over the last five years, especially. But I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this in a previous episode about sports rorts. It does seem to be a bit like almost like shock and awe. Like there are so many uh, egregious examples in which they've you know like like this grant that we're talking about, where they've rolled it out several times in order to go somewhere else. That people just kind of become immune to it after a while. It's like, oh, I guess they're, they're doing that again. Well, yeah, it's because nobody faces consequences for it. Yeah. Like the worst consequence that has happened to really anyone in a political scandal, in a political expenses scandal in the last, like, I don't know, five years or so has been resigning from the ministry but not their seat. Like that's that's the worst thing that's happened to anyone is like, well, oh, you repay the money and nothing else happens to you or you repay the money and if it was particularly oh, yeah. bad – 
you stop being the minister for blah, 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 but you still continue being part of the government. Yeah. And so there's like, what's the incentive to not do it? I think in New South Wales, uh, a minister had to resign because he didn't like uh, admit to getting a bottle of wine as a gift. Yeah, Sam Dastyari left politics. But but even then, that was more corruption. And so like occasionally someone who obviously doesn't have as much political support as he thought he did will be kicked out of the party and kicked out of politics. But like, yeah, for the most part, part of the problem with these expense scandals, quote unquote, is that they're only moral scandals. Usually when they pay things back, they will still go, oh, look, it was above board, but in in good faith, I'll pay this all back. It's like, well, then there's clearly something wrong with the fucking rules. Maybe if we had a good and properly funded federal um, corruption investigation. No, we're not going to talk about that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. But still- We, That's we- the crazy one. Even with the friggin' Somurex scandal, where the the federal like this, this I think this is the reason that like it hasn't really stuck mm. to Dan Andrews. The corruption mm. thing is because everyone at federal at the at the federal government level is like, look at bloody Victorian Labor and their corruption. <laughs> and people are like, should we get an anti-corruption commission? No, no way. <laughs> like, so is it really that bad? Oh, it's not. It's it's bad, but it's not so bad that we need a anti-corruption body. It's just, you know, it's pretty bad. And so it's hard to, like, condemn him that hard. I, I looked up the who it was with the bottle of wine. It was Barry O'Farrell. It was when he was Premier. He, oh, yeah. He, oh, yeah accept, he accepted a $3,000 bottle of Grange Hermitage wine from an um, <laughs> Australian Wheat Board executive, I think. Um, I, I'll look it up. But um, he failed to declare it. Um, and it came out uh, during the 2014 ICAC investigation into expenses. And so subsequently he had to resign. But I that in that. memory, aside from Sam Dastyari, is probably like the only time there's been like a significant resignation over yeah. expenses. Yeah, uh, Bronwyn Bishop had to resign because she had a helicopter flight thing <laughs> going on. But again, eventually, like, yeah. eventually she didn't get it. Nobody gets in actual trouble. And also yeah. she was old enough. Like she just left. Right. That's the thing. If you're like, hey, McLean, we've got this sort of slightly dodgy scandal. You're going to make between fifty dollars and $100,000. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what happens if I get caught? And they're like, you will have to pay a $1,000 fine. And I'm like, right, so... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I'm in. Like that, that that's the sort of incentive that people are facing is like, look, if you get caught, something mildly bad might happen to you and you might have to pay somewhere between a bit of what you got and maybe in the absolute worst case scenario all of what you got. Not all of that you have. You're still going to be <laughs> ahead. Like at worst you're going to break even. Yeah. That it's a, it's a perfect scam being in government. You have a situation like Tony Abbott where it gets found out that one of his children got a free course. Um, and the only person, that. yeah, and the only person who suffers any consequences is the poor student who's in uni admin who discovers this and outs yeah. it to the press oh and um, then has to deal with a court case as a result. Yeah. Speaking of the cost of university. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we're good at segues. Hold on. <laughs> I feel like saying next up in a in a in a silly voice and then saying man we're good at segways <laughs> is, is us being so bad at segways. <laughs> we're shocked when we do them. Oh boy. 
the last little bit to hit on is the um, the news that the government is going to make it more expensive now to do arts and law degrees in in higher education at university, uh, with the idea being they're going to make it less expensive to do things um, that right now and only right now can actually lead to jobs. I'm actually which- surprised at the law degree one because, like, most MPs are lawyers. Or yeah, they I don't have, want like, anyone coming in. Yeah, love shutting the gate. They love, <laughs> sh- but what I mean, one thing. I mean, at least speaking anecdotally, I have a you know arts degree. I'm currently in um, post grad in arts, and one of the things that I can teach effortlessly that I can like tutor and lecture is like parts of a law degree. They are actually intertwined. And when I first heard that, I was like, what the fuck? Oh yeah. Like I do like international just war theory and and war crime stuff, the theoretical side of it, which like a lot of the things that they're trying to like push, like, you know, different STEM uh, degrees and, you know, the the things that aren't bloody just namby-pamby arts, like where you think all day and don't contribute. I want jobs that contribute. They are famously devoid of like critical thinking, rational thinking, moral thinking, all those sort of things, like historical perspectives, understanding other cultures, like all of that stuff that actually makes you someone who is a good, decent person that people want to be around. Shock horror, the Liberal Party want to get rid of it all. As someone with a degree in tech, I just gotta I just gotta defend my field for a little <laughs> bit there. We we had a we had no. a class that was called ethics in uh, in my degree, and it, it was let's be real, mostly about occupational health and safety, but <laughs> and it was notoriously the blood subject, but uh, <laughs> it was no, it's a fair cop, Mitch. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> it, bears, it bears repeating as well. Like, like the the most obvious um, evidence of being a ideological attack is that it would come right now at a time when we're actively interrogating our own history and what we know about our own history as well, especially when it comes to Aboriginal Australia and our origins as a country. Yeah, um, mm. these are all things that are not taught that we know are not taught effectively in schools. Even less so in universities. Once you actually choose to decide what your stream of education is, um, yeah. so to actually make it more difficult for people to get into these fields, to you know, to change that perhaps in some way, uh, it's it's blatant. Mm. I'll say like the, the the two things on it are that it's just yet more evidence that they will use this pandemic and this crisis as often as possible to push through the ideological gains that they want to make. They've never liked university being open to people unless it's them. They do not want – like that. they will use this crisis literally in the smallest ways possible just to be able to like mark some sort of cultural victory. Um, and the, the the other part of it more specifically is that higher education has been on the ideological war front for so long. Like from, you know, when I was even in high school looking at all the different things I could do and what the, the changes that they wanted to make to hex debt, making it um, harder to not accrue a big one, making it, you know, easier to force you to pay it back. These people, the conservatives, do not like the idea of masses of people being well-educated. They just, and it's not an economic argument. It is just something creepy. It goes back to their divine right to rule. They just don't think it's very becoming of a society to have a lot of people educated. Well, that should be my role. (laughs) And it's especially galling because so many of the um, liberal MPs in power right now got literally free educations. 
Yeah. Like they, they and 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 yeah, uni used to be free in Australia. But like absolutely free. You know when you ever when you hear people talk about these same people going, well, how are we going to pay for that? You know, you you say it's free healthcare, but you know how are you going to have free oh free education? Who's going to pay for it? Didn't worry them when they were getting their fucking degrees to the point where uh, Joe Hockey, who was once our horrible um, uh, treasurer and who once pretended to cry in Parliament about the refugees, he was torturing himself. He could have done something about it, and instead just chose to cry. He's fucking horrible piece of shit. He once, there's there's footage of it, he was once at a protest in 1987 where they got violent with security guards and they kicked in glass doors because they were protesting a, a proposed $250 annual fee. Insane. $250 yeah. was what that would have been, just a one-off payment once a year to get your degree. And they were like, oh, we... We hope the entire public is behind us because education has to be free. And then they got a taste of it and they were like, oh, actually, it's just for me, just for, just for daddy. I think like, so the, the attitude towards this is it's half boomer attitude if fuck you got mine, you know, like, mm. and a lot of people do genuinely feel like that. It's like, well, I got it free. Doesn't mean that you should have to as well. You know, you should pull up your socks and earn it uh, because I earned it. I don't get how that – it never really makes any sort of sense. Uh, it's never particularly coherent. But uh, a lot of um, conservatives who spruik this point, they call people who are in uni, especially in arts degrees, they call them the intellectual elites in a scathing sort of way. They consider themselves to be the intellectual elites. Um, but it's true that they also do want education to be the, the, the accessible only to the elite. And so they will shut off as many access points as possible so that only people who can afford to can then, you know, be an art student. So, mm. you know, it's a, self, it's a self-perpetuating thing where they, they call people who, who have that, you know, in a disparaging way, but they want it to be very exclusive. I reckon there's a pretty big factor of, of like, not even thinking about it at that societal level. And there's, there's a real thing within like a lot of conservative or maybe more neoliberal sort of thought where things are really, really individualistic. Mm. And so they're not like, oh, you know, like we don't want society to be well-educated versus we do want society be, to be well-educated. It's like that level of thought doesn't even really happen. It's like, why should this person get something for free? Yeah. They, you know, they're getting a degree. They should pay for the degree, you know, slam dunk. And there's not really that thought of like, how does that affect society as a whole? It's like, who cares about society as a whole? If you get a thing, you should have to pay for that yeah, thing. Yeah, why does it's that the same specific with the, person the get sick it? leave in the coronavirus thing where it's like, oh, we're not going to pay them for staying at home. It's like, you you put the money in the places that help society and it helps society if a person with coronavirus stays at home. Don't think about like, oh, they're getting something for free. That's a weird piece of logic. Look at it at a societal scale and put the money where you want society to go. I think that a lot of like neoliberal thought doesn't really think about things like that. It's just like, oh, what's the transaction that's happening between these individuals? Who's benefiting? The other person should pay. I mean, yeah, I think it's I think it's also tied into the fact that good people have money and bad people don't. Yeah, that's also true. Which yeah. is why, yeah, I, I would go a step further than McLean, but I think I'd go a step further in a lot of things than McLean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the podcast evens itself out. The podcast accelerationist. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I 100% agree with everything you just said. I also think they're scum mm. for, for more reasons than you do. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, McLean, they're also bad intrinsically. They have bad souls. <laughs> yeah, I would push the bad souls narrative. Yeah, but not as hard as... Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm, let's get into a pissing contest about it. Who can find more worse things about them? They're actively demonic. <laughs> Look, all right, so where Mitch and I disagree is that I think Scott Morrison's, like, mortal form is fine, but he has a bad soul in him. Whereas Mitch agrees about the fact that his soul is bad, but he also thinks that his physical form is bad. Yes, I think intrinsically... He's got bad proteins and bad fibers stuff. Every single cell that makes up Scott Morrison's body is a scab, and it should deject itself from it immediately. And until it does, (laughs) I will not respect any one of those cells. Not one. See, I think that the meat that Scott Morrison's made out of (laughs) is morally... Like, okay. No. I think that it is like intact meat. Wouldn't eat it. The ghost that lives in that meat is evil. Nah, wouldn't eat it. Wouldn't eat it during the apocalypse he brings on himself. Nah. I would eat him. I'd eat Scott Morrison. I think you're being too hard on him. You're a weak man, McLean. A weak, spineless man. There's too much I... fat on there. That's the problem. It's not It's not lean like a yoga influencer. That's why I'd eat him. <laughs> no, no, no. You need marble. It'd be good. It's It'd marbled. Be you don't understand. You need a good cut. Scott, Scott Wagyu Morrison. <laughs> Scott Wagyu Morrison. Look, I think, I think that really is the main moral difference and the closing point of this podcast is that I believe in Scott Morrison and would eat him. And Mitch, <laughs> Mitch would hate him and put that straight in the bin. And, and I can appreciate that viewpoint. <laughs> All right. Well, Actions this week. This is because Lang isn't here. We never yeah. get under cannibalism yeah. when Lang's here. This week, call some of your local MPs and ask them if they're going to be paying back the free education they got. Yeah, uh, Greens MP Maureen <laughs> Faruqi posted a thread on Twitter that we'll link to in the show notes that has all the contact details for all the MPs that got free uni when they were students, but support the price hike now. And uh, yeah, we're just spruiking the Greens this episode. Whatever, <laughs> vote for the Greens. Also, like, try not to use a template as well. Like, I mean, we do, we've offered templates in the staff, but make modifications to it. The reason why I say that is that a lot of the time, um, MPs' offices, if you're sending an email, they'll have filters that that once they realize that a template is out, they'll automatically filter to, uh, emails out according to specific phrases yeah. and make it paragraphs personal. and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it, make it personal. If you feel so inspired, make a phone call, leave a message, or write an actual letter about why you feel about yep. that issue. It's a, I, I have a... I have a like a a bit of skepticism around it, kind of for that reason. Uh, it, it sometimes the sort of exhortation to call your MP feels a little bit to me like you know, and make sure you call Genghis Khan and tell him you don't support your step village being raised to the ground by the hordes. Like we, we just spent half an hour talking about how they're ideologically committed at a fundamental level to destroying <laughs> university, and we're like, but if you get in touch and tell them you don't like that, maybe they'll stop. But Maybe they will stop. Who knows? Well, I will say at the very least that beyond being ideologically committed to terrible things, they are also spineless worms. And so if they feel the winds of politics changing, they will try to correct course because all they want is votes. All they want is power and that's how they get the votes. And also, I will say, call your MPs in this instance because it'll make you feel good. It'll just make you feel good to know that you can reach out to a politician who got a free university education and say to them, until you pay that back, 
the hex that you would have accrued, your degree is forfeit. So you either have to hand in your qualifications <laughs> and tell everyone that you're a schmuck like us or or you have to pay it back in full. And then you hang up the phone and you're like, mm, I've earned the rest of the afternoon off. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the very least, you'll demoralise a staffer. <laughs> that is the real aim is to get all the staffers to quit. If all the staffers quit, then fucking Joe Hockey's got to man his own phones. <laughs> That's great. Then you can tell him he's a piece of shit. <laughs> um, he's a diplomat now. He's not even an MP. <laughs> you know, another person. <laughs> Call Joe Hockey and tell him that you support free university and he'll be like, who's this? <laughs> How did you get my number? I'm on a boat in the Bermuda. I can't hear you. <laughs> Um, Shout-outs for this week. I want to shout-out the um, the Guardians podcast, which we mentioned earlier, Full Story. They just they do a lot of uh, really good work. I wish it wasn't full of ads, but that's the nature of for-profit journalism, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but their, um, yeah, their, uh, their reporting is really fucking good. I really appreciate that they put out as many in-depth stories in podcast form as they can for my little addicted podcast mind. Oh, oh! Um, Seven AM also did um uh, an interview with the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance around yeah. the Ooh, organization that was a of the Black Lives Matter episode. rallies. Really good, good episode. Seven AM. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. If you want to reach out to us, you can on all the socials at Not Good Pod or send us an email notgoodpod at protonmail.com. We really like hearing from you guys. And if you want to share us, if you want to rate us, if you want to in any way spread the word of Not Good Enough, we would really love it if you did. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.